while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk radio show, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today is the reasonable voice, Erica Arvold. Erica Arvold is the founder of Arvold, A-R-V-O-L-D, a casting, production, and education company based in Charlottesville, Virginia, and now also in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Erica, how are you this afternoon? I'm well. Thanks, Martello. I love talking to you. And same here. We, we, I hope the audience doesn't mind, but we're just going to have a good old conversation. It's been a while. <laughs> exactly. It has been. I'll try not to make it too long-winded today. I know we can carry on, so we have a limited amount of time, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but we're both talkers and doers, so there. But let me tell you a little more about Erica before we really hop into it. Her accomplishments include 130 films, 80 television projects, and numerous short-form and commercial projects. And she began, Erica, that is, began her dual role as producer and casting director with the psychological thriller House Hunting, and she has been nominated for CSA's prestigious Ardeos Award, meaning perfectly fitted in Greek, uh, for the film's Loving and Elemento in 2017, Big Stone Gap in 2016, and Steven Spielberg's Lincoln in 2013, which reminds me, although we will be airing next Monday, uh, the ooh, Christmas Day, I believe, we are pre-recording on Steven Spielberg's 71st birthday, so best wishes to him, and a big thank you for his body of work, and a thank you to all those casting people involved that got me involved in Lincoln. First... If I may, Erica, the last time Erica yep. and I spoke on radio, she did this marvelous job of explaining the new industry, if you will, of self-taping. And during wow. the break, when we were off air, I responded to that. And she asked, Marcello, I would love it if you'd say that on air. And we didn't. We were busy. But we have more time, so I'm going to say it now and also give Erica a chance to tell us about self-taping. I am, um, all of you know, I'm, I'm a 20th century guy who's still teaching myself 
and learning a lot about the 21st century technology, and I love it. I love learning new things. Self-taping is here. It's a new challenge, a new responsibility for the actor to take on. Like Americans and America, once there's a new need, a new industry is born. So, having said all of that, Erica, tell us about self-taping and why it's so important to the actor these days. Well, the industry has changed along with technology in that actors are at everyone's fingertips now. It used to be that a casting director for a studio in Los Angeles would then hire a location casting director to put on tape their selections for a specific role and then send them to Los Angeles and that's how they would be considered. And even before that, they would just hire a location casting director, do a search and bring in X number of people for roles and then that LA casting director flew to say Charlottesville, Virginia or Atlanta, Georgia and um, saw everyone in person. I mean, when I was in Chicago many moons ago, we did that. We did Saturday Night Live for a number of seasons and we always um, had the casting director come to Chicago, and so we got to see, you know, all the people that you now know who are famous were starting out and really fun to audition. But the self-taping has changed the landscape in that actors now have the ability to use their iPhone or a fancier camera, mm-hmm. both work, and sit in the comfort of their living room as long as they have a plain backdrop and actually audition for a scene. And then it becomes their responsibility to then get a reader to read the opposite lines because the casting director isn't there, right? Yes. Or a reader isn't in the room. And it's their responsibility to, you know, edit, compress, and send that tape off to the casting director um, or directors that are on the project. And it is daunting because actors used to be in charge of purely their own craft and that is authentically portraying a character and putting their own intuition and self, authentic self into it and that's why each character is so unique and that's why casting is such an art form but now they have to potentially be directors and directors of photography or cinematographers and gaffers for the lighting and you know wardrobe stylists or costume designers and and prop masters and and everything Mm. all at once which is scary which is really scary but the cool thing is they get to be mini filmmakers you can experiment and see your own take so it's not like you have to leave the room and i know so many actors who leave the room are like i don't even know what i did i have no (laughs) idea if i booked it or not you know all of that is if you have more control over it and if you can embrace that control over it and then the trick is at least in in my mind and in my um partner in teaching actor training richard warner and i are have this one class actually that we call the many hats of self-taping and the very basis of the class is that you have to put one hat on at a time and then you take it off and then you can put your actor hat on last and actually do the audition but 
before you put the actor hat on, you can put your cinematographer hat on, you can put your production designer hat on, etc. And if you just don't pile the hats on, that's when it gets overwhelming because you're sitting there trying to keep all these hats on and it could be, you know, a pile of 10 to 15 hats and that's impossible because you're not going to do your best work as an actor then. But if you can take them off successfully and mm. then start anew as an actor, then you have such a voice. And, and then when you put your editor hat on, take off the actor hat, put the editor hat on, mm-hmm. look back at those takes and then submit the one that you think might be the best. Maybe you even put, take off the editor hat and put on the casting director hat yourself. No. And go, oh, you know what? That, that gives a shade of what I was meaning. Okay, cool. Great. That's it. But it takes a lot of practice to get to that point. And I think that's where we are right now. We just need people to practice, practice, practice this self-taking business. And and a part of that practicing, of course, can be a, attending a class such as you mentioned. Can you tell us a bit about that? And it, is it offered online? Our classes right now are not online because we are so old school and want to see people in person mm-hmm. and give in-person feedback. We're writing a book right now, so that may be something um, next year that will certainly help with the, you can work on it at home business. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do have online are YouTube videos. We have 270 some odd YouTube videos about many subjects, and that is definitely the basis and precursor to even taking one of our classes, to be honest, because our classes start at a fairly high intermediate level. Mm-hmm. But our in-person classes, um, we have them in Atlanta and in Baltimore and sometimes in Virginia as well, and we mostly are teaching through universities, through colleges, through professional studios, and whatnot. Um, Once in a while, we will have our own kind of class, but usually we're invited to come teach at at a studio, so you kind of just have to keep your eyes peeled for all of the top-notch studios on the East Coast, and hopefully we'll be there. Or someone can always request a studio that they belong to that we come in and guest because our classes are very intensive and they're usually four hours to two days. That's this this many half of self-taping. It's a two-day mm-hmm. intensive class. Actually, that's wonderful. Uh, the sa- very sound of that is wonderful when you, you, you get to develop the characters and relationships. And this is, uh, that's very exciting. I'm glad I asked the question. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that we can use, because I have a fellow I use, who has lighting and a camera, you know, and he's in the business, and so he's he's quite objective, and, and so I can turn that over to him. But is it indeed a, a new industry that's developing, self-taping? And what do you think about there that? There is. Yeah, absolutely there is, because what has happened is I think Atlanta was really the beginning of the self-taping phenomenon. In Atlanta, there were so many actors that were just helping each other out. Yes. And uh, then it became more actors knew that they were taping, and so they came. And so born were a bunch of self-taping studios, essentially. And they're now all over the country, and you can absolutely go in, pay a fairly nominal amount. I think it's usually around a dollar a minute or something, mm-hmm. and go in, get your you get your audition laid down and then leave. Now, the thing that's really cool about empowering yourself and trying to self-tape yourself as well is that you can 
start training your eye to help pick the takes because yes. the people at the self-taping studio still aren't that casting director and still aren't the studio, nor are they the director or producer of the project. They can have an eye, but I really think it's an actor's responsibility to know what they are submitting themselves and have a real solid opinion about why and what they're submitting. I think it's actually part of the craft of acting now, and especially when you, let's just say you do four takes at a self-taping studio, and you're like, just send the best one and leave. Well, what if you get the feedback like my casting office does, and we say, by the way, we picked take two to send to the director. Mm. Now, the actor needs to know <laughs> that, okay, that's the one. Or they say, oh, yeah, well, you got a call back, and you don't even know you, you only submitted one. Maybe the taping studio only even submitted one, and you don't know which one they sent. Do you know what I mean? You've got to know that information for the callback because, yes. you know, the interpretation you want to dive deeper into that specific interpretation that was chosen, you know? As casting director, do you send to the producer and the, or other casting directors who are working with you more than one take? It really depends on the role. It depends on the director. It depends on the producers, on the show, on the project. I mean, yes is the answer sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it also is the length of the scene. I mean, if the scene is literally a one-word scene yes. and somebody makes it a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's a very watchable scene, which one must do with one word, FYI. doesn't yes. mean you're, you know, <laughs> elongating it to such an extent that you're milking it at all. But just knowing the beginning, middle, and end, and it's succinct, I might very well encourage the director to watch a couple of takes just so he or she knows what to expect on set from this actor. And especially if, if, I mean, one of the key phrases I use a lot when working with a director is, oh, this actor will give you choices. And so what a great example of giving a director choices sure. to show, show them, you know, a couple of, a couple of takes. I like that. Uh, and I, and I know that, uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, things I ever heard you say was a, a big um, seminar of a group of casting directors and, and talent agents, too, that you pulled together. And it was at the, I'm thinking, the theater in Richmond, Escapes Me, Bird? Oh, uh, we had an A, oh, no, we had a, we put together, our education department put together a panel yes. of agents from the Southeast as well as from New York. Because yes. It, there are two different cultures, yes. um, as well as non-union and union. There are all sorts of differences, major differences. And it's funny because my casting department is, you know, I mean, we're in Atlanta, and so we understand that culture and have been casting there for a while now, even though we just opened up our office officially there. We've been working with Atlanta talent for six years. Yes. But interestingly enough, when we're casting in Virginia or in Baltimore or in the mid-Atlantic region, we are playing with both pools of actors typically, which is from New York as well as from Atlanta and of course everywhere in between. And the, the set of rules and the daily dealings with agents and whatnot are very, very different in both of those pools of talent it's just it's it's really wild <laughs> it, it it's true and i and this is what i was alluding to because i've i've actually worked more as an actor in new york than i have anywhere else but i know that when when you were asked the question what is the difference between the local talent culture and that you you see as opposed to 
uh, New Yorkers that you, of course, work with. And of course, you've worked everywhere, even before this was all digital. Your response was, well, I think what's in, it happens with the New York actors that they make strong choices. And that really stuck with me because I think that's a guiding line, especially when it comes from a professional casting director like yourself. That's a guiding line for every actor, no matter where they live. Make strong choices because the director then will seize upon that, whether he likes it or not. If he doesn't like it, he's going to, because of the strong choice, he's going to give you a different way of doing it, as you have done with me. Talk about that. Oh, exactly. But then also, you know, it's not even just about the choice. It's about sustaining that choice mm. throughout the audition or throughout the role. Mm. I mean, should the director, he or she, really see something that is a strong choice, you then have to prove to them that you can hold that throughout and that you're committed to that choice. And I think that's really the difference between... And we, I dare say New York actors and Southeast actors, but the reason I say it is because I'm talking about the difference between theatrically trained, as in theater, yes. Broadway, sustaining a character for hours on stage, mm. and those people who don't have as much training, which is possible, it's absolutely possible to have a career in film or television without training, but you hit a ceiling of the size of role mm. and the type of role very quickly without training. And I'm such a proponent. I mean, I went to Goodman School of Drama. I could talk Stanislavski all day long. It's very exciting to me. But I really, I, I can't, cannot urge those who are interested in acting to start by training and understanding the craft because it's the love of craft that really ends up buoying a career for a long, I mean, it buoys a career significantly over the long term. And, you know, if someone's just trying to do it for fun and they just want to get one co-star role on something and say they were on TV, then <laughs> that's, you know, a different, a different world than I live in, put it that way. Exactly. All right. Uh, and by the way, I'll just throw this in before we take a break. Colin Dewhurst once told me the actor is always preparing. Always. It's a full-time job. Is preparing, oh, learning, always. studying. I mean, my favorite is like, do you go to, you know, the store or Target or the flower shop or the grocery store in character? You know, you have permission to do this. I mean, actors are actors because it's so much fun. You yes. can play constantly and research constantly and all of that, and that's what a lot of our book that we're writing actually is about, because it's it's about, you don't get it right, quote-unquote. You mm -hmm. don't have to interpret it right. And I just read this most amazing parallel the other day. They said, when you are on an airplane and you're watching the um, flight attendant give the speech yes. about, you know, the oxygen bags and whatnot, when you're watching them, you know exactly what to expect because you've seen it a hundred times thinking you've already been on a hundred flights, right, mm -hmm. throughout your life. Yes. And it's when, it's one that flight attendant all of a sudden is unique or does it in a different way that stands out. And this is when people, you know, put it on camera and it's on YouTube and whatnot and it's so exciting. Well, that's such a beautiful parallel to an audition. If you get it right, it's like the flight attendant getting it word perfect. But but in the room and those watching the tape have already seen it, mm. how they've written it. They've already seen what's expected. So 
why not be yourself? I'm not saying put a crazy spin on it and do mm-hmm. something that's not appropriate for the context of the project at all. But if you're just your yourself, because that's the way, how can you be the most unique? You can be your unique self. That's what distinguishes us from everybody else is being truly and truthfully ourselves. That's the most unique you can be. So if that's applied to the material, then that's going to stand up. Oh, I digress, Marcello. I digress so much. All right. We are going to take a break. Having a marvelous conversation, long overdue, with Erica Arvold, who is the CEO and founder of Arvold. We'll be right back. Please stay with us. There's more to come, and it's all exciting. And now, enjoy Watch Fire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Yes, the Lord is greatly to be praised. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is Erica Arvold, who has done and worn so many hats uh, that uh, the, it's just a list that is amazingly long. But let's remind people, she, Erica Arvold, is the founder of Arvold, a casting production and education company. I've known her as casting director and, and uh, teacher and co-teacher and friend and seen her at work on many levels. So she knows what she's talking about, I guess I'm saying, to both the acting community listening and to those who would like to learn, and I mean really commit to this. This is a show I hope you've tuned into and you certainly will enjoy. Okay. You know, one of those things that I know is a pet peeve of both Erica Arvold and me, and that is actors uh, who don't know the difference between what a talent agent is and what a casting director is. So why don't we hit with a, begin with a little of that, Erica? What's the difference? Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you brought that up because I read so much in so many reporters, including even our own industry yes. um, papers, refer to this thing called a, <clears throat> I can't even barely say it, but I, I will, casting agent. No such and thing. putting those two words together is a major conflict of interest because a casting director is hired by a production company, Mm -hmm. meaning a producer or director, to find talent. 
And then a talent agent is a person who represents actors and takes a percentage from the actor. So a casting director is paid by production, never by actors. Mm -hmm. A talent agent is paid by actors, never a production company. And so it's almost as if I am, like, let's say a casting director is like a judge Mm -hmm. in the court system. And in a parallel could be the judge, you know, is representing the Constitution, but, you know, I as a casting director am trying to represent the creative vision of the script, put it that way. Mm -hmm. And um, and an agent is an attorney working for an actor, right? So you would never have an attorney, whether it's a defendant or plaintiff, you would never have an attorney also be the judge. They wouldn't be there making the case for the actor and then jumping behind the bench and deciding yes or yes. no, right? That yeah. would be a major conflict of interest. And um, and that's really what the difference is. So the, so the phrase, casting agent, is, is meant in a benign way most of the time, but I think we really need to work on, and I know the Casting Society of America certainly is always working on that verbiage because it really is confusing. Yes. It's very confusing. A casting director is indeed that. We also really direct the entire process of casting as well as we very much give direction to actors in the room. So it doesn't um, undermine the role of a director on a film set at all. It's a very different type of director, same as director of photography, directs the photography. We direct the Excellent. As long as we've gone to that uh, distinction, we know that location, there are people who find locations for uh, shooting scenes in a film or television, but a location casting director is a different thing. Can you tell us? Correct, correct, t- yes. With location managers, when they're hired by a film, they, they are the ones who are like finding the house or the land or the road mm-hmm. or whatever to go film at. They are just finding locations. It's very, very different than a location casting director. A location casting director means they're not the main casting director on the project. For instance, if there's a studio that has a casting director in Los Angeles, which frankly, that's where I used to be, mm-hmm. I would then hire, should we be shooting, like for instance, on this movie called In Her Shoes that yes. I worked on as the casting associate quite a while ago from L.A., mm-hmm. I was the one who then spoke to the location casting directors because we were shooting in Philadelphia as well as in Florida. And so I hired or we hired casting location casting directors in those areas because they specialize in the talent there because how would you know from Los Angeles all of the talent there or would you have time even in, in, in this day of self-taping, would you have time to go through all the masses of self-tapes that could come from that area? Probably not. It would be great if you had an automatic filtration system, and that's where location casting directors are so unbelievably helpful, is they mm-hmm. really know not only the talent in that area, but they know people that are kind of, I like to say, hidden under rocks that mm-hmm. don't normally come out, or mm-hmm. someone that it doesn't doesn't have, um, that has a special quality that could be right for the for the role. So I went from being a Los Angeles cast. I, I started in Chicago when we were a location casting company. I went to LA. I was a casting director there as well as a casting associate on fairly high profile projects. Mm-hmm. And then I um, am now based in Charlottesville and Atlanta where we do location casting. All right. 
Well, we want to talk. I mean, there's so much, you know. So I'm just going to throw out stuff. We make. There's no way we're going to cover it all because Eric and I have too much to talk about. But let's talk about a bit about Turn, Washington's spies, and and let's get to also incorporate if we could link that with performance for professionals program at Arbol. Oh, perfect. <laughs> talking earlier about actors and really the most unique they could be is to present their most authentic self. Yes. This is really where craft comes in. There are years and years and years of methodologies and tools to use to essentially, as a six-year-old actress told me once, mm-hmm. acting is pretending, but it's pretending that you're not pretending. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very good. And exactly. And so, so there are tools to accomplish this. Well, these tools also specialize in things like connection, mm-hmm. being heard, mm-hmm. landing what you're saying, and responding in real time. And this is what actor training and theater training really concentrates upon in so many different ways. Those are the themes of, of how to be authentic and spontaneous, right? Yes. Well, we have now begun, for a whole lot of passionate reasons, which I'm happy to go into, a PFP program, which is Performance for Professionals, meaning we can apply this theatrical acting training, the tools, to a corporate environment, to laymen, if you will, Mm. who want to be more confident in holding their own space, who want to communicate more effectively, who want to lead more effectively, who want to be heard, and who want to develop their own voice so they have some say. Mm. And I think this leads to things that we offer classes in, for instance, for how to handle difficult conversations, how to authentically listen, but also be able to articulate your own experience so that these difficult conversations are actually productive and and not just screaming into social media and getting a thumbs up or a thumbs down or whatnot. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So this is a program that we've just launched a number of months ago now, and it's really exciting. We have several clients that we are working with that are just over the moon, frankly, and mm. it's making a profound difference in, in some medical schools and in other small businesses, and it's just something that, with the way the world is right now, I dare say this is my attempt to contribute to world peace. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I hear you. A- absolutely. I mean, the art of listening and, and actually having a conversation has been very much sacrificed because they're, uh, because here's a thing with digitalized humanity is not such a great thing. Uh, as, and you mentioned social media. It's not really communicating if you're just throwing an opinion at a, a bunch of strangers and then that's the end of your part of the conversation. I think listening is something actors are always told is the most important thing. The most important thing about acting is to be able to is listening so that you react to the truth of the other character with your truth. <laughs> Let's get it back it's to true. you. It's true, and I think there's a bit of a misconception sometimes because it's like, oh, we have to talk and listen, and that doesn't lead anywhere. Well, I dare say it's actually the opposite. Yes. When you are really authentically communicating something, 
and truly hearing what someone else is communicating. These are the mandatory steps that take that fuel productiveness. Yes. It is an, an and fuel a very quick productive change. So I I think that it's not just in theory. It's very much a way to move things forward, to find common ground, to find solutions, to find uncommon ground, which mm. is really important to mm. finding solutions, you know? Mm-hmm. So here's where we're far apart. Here's where we're close together. All right, now what do we do next kind of thing? In New York, when I was directing uh, more videos, because in those days it was videos, and the actors would come to me, and I would direct them in a, a two-person scene with several cameras, and they would take that tape and go out and promote themselves. What I I I really enjoyed was when the actor got it. If you were really listening to what the other character was saying, the camera was catching your thoughts and feelings and empathy or not. And there it was. So your audition was thorough. It was complete because it's not just when the actor talks. It's when they're thinking and feeling and responding. You take it, Erica. What do you say? Oh, I couldn't agree more. Different genres celebrate that in different amounts in a lot of ways. But if you look at soap operas, it's Mm. almost always on the listener. Yes. And very rare. I mean, I think the, the proportion is more on the listener than it is on the on the deliverer, if you will, of the yes. line, which is why it's so so dramatic. But I think that I think that these tools in general, being able to apply them to laymen and and, and to help people who have either accelerated to a, a managerial role or a company that's growing very quickly mm-hmm. or a university that has, you know, students graduating from business school that you know, the a lot of times these folks learn these things. There are amazing programs in place for medical schools and for business schools, and it's all in one's head, if you will. And to have our company come in and work with you with other actors sometimes where they're improvisational um, practice exercises, especially for difficult conversations, all of a sudden it's a felt sense in the body, and it's training beyond the academia in the in the brain but it's a body felt sense when you are in it with your whole body and that's the other thing that actor training really it's not just reading a book about it it's yes. actually you you walk it you talk it you be it you, you are it you you practice being it and that is it's profound. It's meaningful training, and that's the. Uh, frankly, that's what we keep getting feedback about now. I think like, that was so meaningful. I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. It's sticky. I like. I yes. like the word sticky, like like Velcro. You know, it yes. sticks to you. Well, you know, we get taught the craft. We get taught the business model. We get taught what we want to do for a living, but we are not always taught. Even in acting schools, we're not always taught how to present ourselves, uh, how to put together a resume, how to speak, especially in uh, occupations that are not primarily actors, how to speak to an audience so that all that you've captured in your brain and all you're studying, you can, if you can't express it as a teacher, if you can't ex- express it as a, as a, a spokesperson, if you can't hold a, a panel discussion, so that others will understand you, then we've missed the whole point of communication and getting all that knowledge, I think. It's not just to sit at I home think alone. So. I mean, I grow, I, I love 
love being on crew and I, I row and um to me it's like studying it and watching it and you know all these things and you can visualize and they're wonderful important profound things about that type of learning but until you get in that boat yes and you feel the water under you and you move those oars and you feel all tippy and then and then when you're in sync with everybody else and you're all working together it is there's nothing like it you have to literally physically do it and i dare say with with theater-based leadership training which is, is essentially what we're doing mm-hmm. with this performance for professionals program that's what we're doing we're giving people the experience to be in that boat metaphorically and that's why it's so unique and and i think i wish every every company in the world would do this because people are are so much more tolerant they know what it feels like it's not just an idea anymore yes exactly I mean, you are taking something to them that's of great value. Uh, as you say, there, there's been the idea. Even when I taught TV commercial acting, on-camera acting in New York, uh, I had as many attorneys and, and doctors and business people come to learn how to speak on camera and work on camera and be comfortable with the camera as I did actors. But now with, with the Performance for Professionals program, with Arvold, you are going to the companies and the universities and the and conferences and and showing them how how to connect. How's that? Exactly, exactly. And there's so many so many variations of this. It's very very exciting. Um, now, your second subject that you asked me about, yes. if we have time left, we do. <laughs> is, is Washington Spies series, which I was so lucky to work on, and my office was so lucky to work on for um, not only the pilot, but four full seasons, and it was brilliant, and I I just, I don't know, when you are on a show for that long, it was nearly five years by Mm. the time you count all all the time and the hiatuses and whatnot, the closeness you get so close it becomes your family you know and and um and it was all filmed in richmond virginia which was amazing and Mm -hmm. richmond is just phenomenal crew and such phenomenal actors in the region and as well as you know we ended up casting throughout the east coast based on the number of episodes that we ended up casting of course Mm -hmm. and it really it's it's great. I'm so sad it's over, but I'm so happy that the writers and the showrunner and AMC and everyone else involved are onto new series. Put it that yes. way. So yes. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yes. That, uh, that, that, that we will be too. All right. We probably should, uh, not that we've run totally out of time, but I want to make certain we get certain things said. For instance, uh, the Arvold Education video blog that answers questions, provides professional advice, and on and on and on. And also, let's give the website, and I would like to throw out uh, that it, at the very least, and, and, and of course with with self-taping and digital casting, there really are no limits, but at the very least, geographically, you are on a daily basis covering, I always like to say, from the Mississippi River to New York City to uh, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, um, wherever you wish. What 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 you want us to know? What do we do? Well, certainly the best um, way would be to go to our website, www.arvold.com. That's A-R-V-O-L-D.com. Uh, we have a newsletter there'll be a little pop-up screen if you're on the website long enough um, where you can sign up for a newsletter. And um, other than that, just explore. You can explore our production um, 
rabbit hole we call it mm. which uh we have a, we've got actually a really a fun reel that compiles a bunch of our work over the last number of years mm. and then we have of course an education department which we spent a lot of time talking about and i appreciate it because that's something it's so so i'm so passionate about yes. um if if you want to take education classes or, or bring it to your company this new performance for professionals program if it interests you as a consumer, you can always email education at com. But the best way is to, again, go to the website, click on education, and there will be a list of offerings under our Performance for Professionals banner. And then there's casting. We typically hire principal roles, which would be speaking roles only. We do not do extras, which is background roles. Mm-hmm. And we put out casting notices, and there's a lot of information about that on the website as well. Fantastic. All right. We've been having a grand time. I, I trust the uh, listening audience has as well. You've gotten a real look into the 21st century, how acting can permeate the entire uh, society with a very positive point of view, how learning new things is absolutely essential, and how being able to communicate the things that you learn with others and I'll let you take it out, Erica. Leave us with some last uh, impactful thought that you want us to, to take away from this show. Well, I will say the two things that we constantly are saying within our education department that I also say to myself, and I think it's really important to know, is that wherever you are in your professional development, regardless of what career you have, you are in the perfect space and the perfect echelon to then learn more. So don't ever think, my my advice would be not to ever think you need to learn more before you start doing something. It's just, you just start and you learn as you go. And the second thing is, there are three words I always, always recommend actors say to themselves once a day, and I think this applies to human beings across the board, and those three words are, I am enough. Oh, I love that. Well, I don't think we can do any better than that for an ending. I am enough. Okay, you heard it here. Erica Arvold, thank you so very much for being on the show. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for our professional relationship. It's All of it's grand, all of it's beautiful, and all of it is something that the world needs now, perhaps more than ever. Thank you so much, Erica. All the best to you. You too, Marcello. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye now. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening?
Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. It's about the first woman to chair. When the starting gate for minorities and goalposts for women are relics of second-class citizenship, the question isn't who's on first, but are we still defining exceptionalism with the 1790 Naturalization Act, which excluded American Indians, indentured servants, slaves, free blacks, and Asians from American citizenship? Or are we just electing chair covers who prefer the 1870 Naturalization Act, which did admit to the possibility of Black Lives Matter, but still not other alien immigrants and no legal status given non-white women? It's all about that. It's about the race not always going to the swift, but the slick. Is it about candidates unable to give us the simplicity of black and white solutions, or that conflicts of interest are born when corporate wealth calls the middle class? Is it just about being first, when first is about job, title, income, neighborhood, family structure, or spouse? No, it's about testing, where poverty starts and mass incarceration ends. Is Congress about declaring the United States wants only citizens who can care for themselves without the assistance of others, thus denying American citizenship to the uneducated, mentally ill, and poor? Or is it about race and nationality discrimination being ensconced in American law in 1898, still thriving and flourishing in 2016 conservative politics? Are we still about Immigration and Naturalization Service officials using the 1911 Dictionary of Races or Peoples to determine a person's qualifications to immigrate to the land of the free? If so, it's about non-white women need not apply. Is it about the dots connecting our 1920s Supreme Court upholding a national racist immigration policy and our 2010 Citizens United Supremes selling out our electoral process? Isn't it about time Congress and the laws of the land reject the neglect of equal citizenship for the female half of our population instead of holding fast to laws set in 1700 stone restricting gender equality for women of every hue and a decent minimum wage for all Americans? Is it about fearing equal economic opportunity, equal pay for equal work, equal credit opportunities, equal health care services and maternity leave, or about honoring all the first women to chair by ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment? It's about American Revolutionary War veteran Mary Ludwig Hayes, American Red Cross founder Carla Barton, English Channel Flyer Harriet Quimby, and orchestral conductor Mary Davenport Engberg. It's about peace-loving Congresswoman Jeanette Rankin, whose Vietnam War protests, had they been heeded, could have spared a little Vietnamese girl life-changing napalm burns. It's about that. It's not only Susan Bromwell Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Lucy Stone, but Alice Paul, who introduced the first Equal Rights Amendment in Congress. It wasn't just Amelia Earhart, but Pacific Ocean Betty Miller, Eileen Collins, and first Cabinet Chair Frances Perkins. 
It's about the Seventh Vale Oscar winner Muriel Box, First Arizona Senate Majority Leader Sandra Day O'Connor, and Cherokee Chief Wilma Mankiller. It's about all Rosie the Riveters. Poet Laureate Mona Jane Van Doon, Janet Reno, Madeleine Albright, Nancy Pelosi, Barbara Boxer, and potential first chair of the land, Hillary Clinton, prove it's about diplomacy, the artistic edge, and justice for all. It's about excellence over exceptionalism, like What's My Line, Arlene Francis, Barbara Streisand, Catherine Bigelow, the lionesses of Broadway, Julie Taymor, Lisa Crone, and Janine Tesori. And it's about Cuba to Florida swimmer Diana Niad. It's not about Brandy Chatson's shirt, but the U.S. women's soccer team at the White House, because equal achievement should equal equal citizenship. And it's about my childhood crushes, Maureen O'Hara and Annette Funicello. It's about my friendship with Mercedes McCambridge. It's about Patrick Hayes introducing me to Zelda Fitchlander back when divorced women lost the use of their credit cards and their credit standing, which they had shared with their husbands when married. Finally, it's about all those we've called the help. Hattie McDaniel, Aretha Franklin, Felicia Rashad, Oldra MacDonald, Oprah Winfrey, the uncaged inaugural poet Maya Angelou, the incomparable Viola Davis, and the resource officer assaulted Spring Valley High School girl. Yes, it's about that, too. It's about legally acknowledging the equality of all mothers, daughters, wives, sisters, aunts, and girlfriends, because it's about time. It's about them. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.